Well, good morning, Grace Fellowship. You having an incredible time praising the Lord this morning? I, I tell you, I was out here earlier. I could not contain myself. It was just so joyful. Praise the Lord. You're not with me, are you? But uh, yeah, some of you are. Some of you are. Hallelujah, right? Yeah, praise the Lord. Well, I have a few announcements for us this morning before I get started. I think my first one is, um, my first one is an illusion. There we go, calendar of events. So um, if you don't know already, we started publishing this calendar of events. It came out to you on email. I think it's also available at the Welcome Center for you. And this basically just gives you the highlights. There's so much going on at Grace Fellowship Church. If you really want to know what's going on, you have to get into CCB, which is Church Community Builder. And um, you can get there online and see the calendar. And then you can see just the plethora of things. I'm expanding my vocabulary. Plethora of things that are happening at Grace, but this is just a snapshot of some of the major things that are happening at Grace, and this will be published monthly, so you can actually have it, put it on your fridge, whatever. One of the things we wanted to talk to you quickly about was the Harvest Party. Now, how many of you have loved the Harvest Party? Well, okay. (laughs) All right, well, it's really been meeting its target. You know, we've had over a thousand kids here on the Hill every year for the last five years, and the team that has pulled that out uh, off, Rachel Lawrence and Tara Farmer, would you please give them a round of applause, please, for that every year? So in team meetings a month ago or more, we decided to push the pause on the harvest party this year. And we know that that's been disappointing to some folks, and we've heard from you. We've heard clearly you're disappointed. Honestly, it's disappointing to us, but we've had to give that team a break, and we really need to re-envision that event. And so this year, there's no harvest party. You can just go, aww. There you go. No harvest party this year, but there will be one next year. Now, I just want to cut off, you know, it's funny, when a church this size, it's just so easy for this little rumor mill to start, right? So we canceled the harvest party, the email went out, and then we started the rumors coming back. This is a financial decision. We don't have the money for the harvest party. No, that's not it. Um, This is because people were dressing inappropriately. No, that's not it. We're giving the team a break to re-envision the the, um, experience. So we wanted to give you that heads up just so you're clear. And we're excited that's what the Lord's going to do next year with the Harvest Party. Okay, great. How about a snowball party? Snowball party. We can do that. Absolutely, my friend. Just lead. You ready to lead it? Okay, good. (laughs) Ben, talk to this man after service right here. Purple shirt, front row. Mr. Speck. He's right there. Okay, I also wanted to bring to your attention the night of worship and prayer. This is very important. Please get this on your calendars. October 21st, we'll be together at 6.30 in the evening. We're just so excited as to what the Lord's going to do in our midst during this time. Uh, please invite friends, um, and please put that on your calendars to join us for that time. It's going to be remarkable. Okay, so if you have been with us, you know that we've been in this series called The Way of the Worshipper. We're now in week four. We're on our third word. We'll talk about that uh, more in a few minutes after I pray. Would you be kind enough to join me, please? Father, thank you so much for your family. We acknowledge that you are God and that we are not. We acknowledge that so often we put little gods before you. We are deeply grieved that we do. God, we ask that you would be God in our lives today, that you would take us off the throne I know you have a million ways to do that, Lord. For me personally, you've humbled me more times than I can count. But we ask, Lord, that you would humble us before you, that you might lift us up in due time. 
And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word that truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We praise you that you gave us your Holy Spirit to illuminate your word and your people in which we share your word, Lord God. But we turn to your word this morning, for your word is life. Your word is light. Your word is sharper than any double-edged sword dividing joint and marrow, revealing to us who you are and who we are in you. God, we submit ourselves to you today and ask that you would speak your words through me. I acknowledge I've done nothing to deserve this, Lord. We only ask this because of your goodness, because of your loving kindness, because your faithfulness is unto the sky. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. amen. So um, I want to remind us of where we are, where we're going here. Um, our objective really during this series is to gain greater freedom, boldness, joy, and confidence in him. And we said this will take some risks, and you've been with us the last few weeks. We know we've been talking about this with creative redundance. I want to address a few things that I think people have some concerns about. I want you to know something. We're not um, in any way pressuring you to raise your hands. We're not in any way pressuring you to dance. We're not in any way pressuring you to do or be anything you are not in Christ. What we are trying to do is help you understand that you are free to do any of these things or to not do any of these things. The question is, are you experiencing the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ? If you are experiencing that freedom, you will probably move at least a little bit. <laughs> if you are experiencing that freedom, you will feel this kind of like jittery type thing in your soul that I was feeling over that door over there where I was about ready to fall on the floor because I couldn't contain myself. I was so excited because of who God is. And I want to say to you in your life, if you get excited about anything at home, now I know some of you that are, are hesitant hesitant to raise your hands like that's okay we're not pressuring you to do that but I ask you do you ever raise your hand at home when when the football gets cooked, kicked through the goal, goal post you know like do you ever go goal you know like if you do maybe your priorities are a little backwards maybe maybe your lack of spiritual enthusiasm is overshadowed by your sports enthusiasm or some other kind of enthusiasm and god wants to say to you no enthusiasm and passion for me must overshadow every other passion you have every other enthusiasm you have so i understand that some of us are not demonstrative in our characters praise the lord for the contemplatives right they keep the crazies of us kind of balanced out you know, because sometimes the most beautiful expression of worship is just being still, amen? Just being still, and today we're going to talk about this beautiful word, todah, just to hold your hands out in this position. Go ahead and do that right now. This is thanking God for what he's done and what he's yet to do. This is todah, say that, todah. So, um, you know, this, this posture is not the same as halal, you know? So, um, but all of the postures are postures of the heart before God. These are not physical postures. They're postures of the heart before God. And we're asking you to please consider asking before him the question, am I free in you, Jesus? Am I free to actually express my love for you? Because remember, we're defining worship in this way. It's a passionate and loving response to the reality of who God is and who we are in him, passion and love, because he is a passionate God whose love endures forever. Okay, so today, we're gonna to start out with a little review, 
And this is Psalm 100. Now, I've been looking through Scripture, uh, much of it, to find these words all in one place. And I found this chunk from Psalm 100 that had five of our seven words all in the same verses, and I thought it was pretty beautiful. So we're going to read this out together. And when we um, read the word, we're going to do it a little differently this morning. Okay, so, you know, if you're not into risk-taking, you can just you know, kind of stay seated. But if you are in the risk-taking, what I'd like you to do is once you say the word, like for instance, shout, then you're going to say the word Shabbat and you're going to shout it out, okay? Um, when you come to the word Todah, you're going to give me this. No, you're not going to give me this. What are you going to give me? This, right. When you come to the word Yada, you're going to do this. No, what are you going to give me? Yada is this, right? Halal is this. Yes, yeah, so you're thinking a little bit. I'll, I'll walk you through it. Let's, uh, let's do this together. Ready? Let's read. Shout Shabbat, right, for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, todah, and his courts with praise. Tahilah. Give thanks, Yada, to the hymn and praise Barak, his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. All right, stand up. Give me a good halal. Come on, you ready? One, two, three. Halal. Okay, we got a few, and the summer are just like, yeah, no, I don't want to do this. And how about Zamar? Zamar, right? Okay, very good. You can have a seat. So try to be creative in the way we review these each week. You know, um, the scripture is just so beautiful. God's word is just so beautiful. And I want to encourage you, like, you know, Tracy and I are right now looking for new Bibles, and we're just like going crazy, aren't we, right? So I got a new Bible, and uh, it's not that I just like the texture of the cover or anything, it's just... When I open God's word and I start to spend time with him and his word, oh my. Like he, he starts speaking to me and he starts revealing himself to me and showing me his will and his way for my life. And so can I encourage you, please, 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 to be spending time in God's word. That's what we do here on Sundays, but this is not enough for you. This is like just eating a little side dish, you know, like you need to be at home digging deep, and so please be digging deep in the word of God. Um, so here are the words that we've looked at. Again, if you have the booklet, you know all this, and you've seen it already. So today we talk about todah, an extension of the hand in adoration and acceptance. Really, this is thanking God for things that you have already received from him, so things that he's already done in your life, and, and more specifically, things that he has yet to do. So Todah brings a set of expectation with it. It's, it's saying, God, thank you for what you're going to do in my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you will heal me. Now, some people go, what, stop, stop. What do you mean? Are you you saying that God promises to heal us? Yes, I am saying that God promises to heal us. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that right away your fibromyalgia is gonna go away. It doesn't mean that. Now, God can take it away, but sometimes he chooses to leave those things. But if you are in Christ Jesus, one day you will walk into his presence and you will be healed forever, right? You will be healed forever. So I thank you, God, for the healing that is going to come to this body that right now hurts a little bit, right? So, like, my back's been going out this week and my ankle's been kind of messed up and all this stuff, and I'm still working, I'm stretching, I'm doing my thing, but one day I'm going to get a new body. 
So thank you, Lord God, for that new body even now, right? So we can thank God with a great sense of expectation for things that are yet to come. And this is really a large part what the Lord um, means when he uses this word todah. Now, todah has less iterations in the Bible than some of the other words that we've talked about, but it's still a very important word. And here's a question. As I was praying this week, and I was asking God about our ability together to receive a gift from him, to hold our hands out and receive a gift, he said, Jeff, how can they receive a gift when their hands are so filled with distractions? So today we're gonna talk about distractions i.e. idolatry and every single one of us is an idolatrous people that's the scripture is referred to the nation of Israel and the people of God as an idolatrous people that means you are prone to submitting yourself to little gods small g you are you have this capacity you are always surrendering yourself to something or someone the question is Is it God? Are you surrendering yourself to God or are you surrendering yourself to something else? But surrender is not an option. You are always doing this. The question is what has you? What has you? What what are you distracted by? And I want you to know that this week I've been reading this little book which I'm finding very profound. It's called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Um, Do you have a cell phone with you? Would you take it out please? Take your cell phone out. Go ahead. Um, I would just be show of hands. How many people don't have a cell phone with them? All right. Well, that's more than I expected. I expected maybe three to five. There's, there's a couple dozen there maybe. All right. If you have a cell phone, just take it out. Hold it up. Hold it up. Now, um, now turn your lights off. That blinds me. Don't do that. Um, uh, so <clears throat> I want you to know something. Like right you hold in your hand one of the major distractions of our age. Americans check their phone on average 83 times a day. Eight billion times a day Americans check their phones together collectively. Now, the author of this book, he's a first-rate theologian, but he says that we now have access to a parallel universe that's virtual, where we seek information and validation, and it's constantly beckoning to us, and it never shuts down. This thing called the information highway, the World Wide Web, I remember when it first came out. Anybody remember when it first came out? And weren't you astounded you could get on your computer and like, remember that little ching thing that would happen on the phone and shh, you hear all that? And you'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm in a library in Europe. And you were just like freaked out by the whole thing. And now we have like thousands of times more computing power that we wear on our hips every day. And this opens you up to a virtual universe that's parallel to our own that is constantly beckoning you and constantly telling you what you should think, constantly seeking somehow to show that you're valid as a human being. And this is a major distraction for us. It bings and it rings. It does all kinds of things that beckons for your attention. Now, I want you to hold that phone up again. I'm going to ask you to do something, and I realize this is kind of risky for a pastor to do. But I'm going to ask you to shut that thing off. Now, look, I'm shutting down right now. I am closing the portal to the parallel universe. I just closed it. Now, some of you are going, no, I, I, I can't do that. 
Now, some of you maybe closed your phone down, but you felt this thing in your gut, which I feel at times too, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm closing my phone down. And you're filled with fear and insecurity because fill in the blank. My kid won't be able to get to me. Now, let me talk to your parents, especially moms. This is something Tracy and I have talked about a lot. I never had a cell phone growing up. I didn't have the internet. I didn't. How many of you did not have a, a cell phone growing up? Okay, so do you remember what you would do? We would run miles from our houses. We would do all kinds of stuff. We would get into all kinds of trouble. And I'm still alive to tell the story. I am. You know, like, like, so I remember once we were on a green belt, which was about a mile and a half from my house. There was a bunch of kids out there. Danny Grant, who was hanging out with us, he got hit in the head by a bolt of lightning. I'm not kidding you. We carried him back to his house. Danny was okay, kind of. He was never quite the same after that. But a cell phone wouldn't have changed our lives all that much. Sandy Lindbergh, man, she was like, we were playing Manhunt, which is a game we used to play. Anybody play Manhunt? Kick the can. Oh, kick the can. Remember that one? That was awesome. We used to play all those games in the neighborhood, right, and everything like that. I remember once she stepped on one of these big glass jugs, and it kept a big rip up her leg. Moms are like, don't tell any more stories like this, please. But we carried her back to Mark Coffin's house. And then the Coffins took care of it. Like, here's the thing, guys. Like, we rely on these things way too much. And we think there's some sense of security that we have in having that cell phone turned on. And we're constantly available to people all the time. The question I'm asking you is, do you want to be constantly available? Do you want to be consistently available to whoever invades your world? And I am getting more and more telemarketing phone calls. On this thing, I, I was a little like, vicious this week. I, I waited for the woman to come on. You know, you get the recording. Hi, this is Jane. And you realize it's like a computer. And I waited for the woman to come on, and I said, Honey, would you please give me your cell phone number? I'd like to call you after our call. <laughs> she hung up on me, and I, I confessed that it wasn't the best thing to do. But I, I just get tired of that. Like, I, I, you know, but the question is, do you want to be so distracted? You know, distraction is idolatry. Where you focus your eyes, wherever you focus them, the scripture is very clear, that is what will fill you, that is what will lead you. Where are your eyes focused today? It doesn't have to be a cell phone, by the way. You can be distracted by all kinds of things around you, financial matters, family members. You can be distracted by all kinds of things in your life. And the question is, are you living distracted because God says if your hands are filled with distractions you won't even see the gift that I'm giving you you won't even know that it's a gift because your eyes are so focused on all the things around you and God says please shut it down be with me come away with me my love be with me and hear from me so that I can take you up the mountain so that I can take you make you aware of my presence in such a way that you rise above this messed up world and that I fill you with my presence and with my peace in such a way that you walked here as a light one as a transformed one as one who is experiencing my life and my light please read this scripture with me aloud who may ascend the mountain of the Lord who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul up unto an idol or swear by what is false. So look, this description, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, was only true about one man ever. 
His name is Jesus Christ. He was a perfect sacrifice. He was the only man, he was the God man who had absolutely clean hands and 100% pure heart. And he died for you and me. But now because he did, he lives inside of us. And when he lives inside of us, he longs to have his will and his way manifest in our lives in such a way that our spirit connects with his spirit and now he cleans our hands and he purifies our hearts. The question is, is when you look at your hands, are they filled with distractions of this world? Or are they cleaned by him in such a way that you can receive the gift of his life in you? This is something that God longs for us to have. Anything other than him that your focus is on is an idol. Listen to what Jesus says. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are healthy, the whole body will be filled with light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. No one can do that. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. They will fall into their proper perspective. Now what Jesus is saying is whatever you focus your eyes on will fill you. Whatever you focus your eyes on will control you. Where's your focus? Now, some of us in here are married. Praise the Lord. It's a great gift from God. My wife's an incredible wife, but she's a lousy God. I'm a good husband, right, honey? But I'm a lousy God. You're going to say amen? <laughs> One of the things that Tracy and I have tried to do in our marriage over all these years is love each other well, but we do not entrust ourselves to each other the way that we need to entrust ourselves to the Lord. You see, like, like, she can't be the one who determines my well-being. I can't be the one that determines her well-being. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And when we turn to the Lord individually and together to let him define us, then we love each other with the love that he has for us. But listen up. Whether you're married or not, it doesn't matter. Our tendency to somehow hook our reins to the approval of people around us and say, lead me, is strong. That's a distraction. That's an idol. You see, cell phones and everything else around us, they can become little gods with a little g, and they can somehow deter us in such a way that the lamp of our body is now focused on the wrong thing. And this is true for all of us. If you have a cell phone, believe me, you have abused it. Now, the, by the way, th this, this little portal, I want to say there's nothing wrong with technology. This, this author makes a great case. He says technology is God's idea. But can I challenge you to do something I'm doing? I just shut the portal down earlier. I only open the portal when it serves the purpose of Christ in my life. I'm going to close it then, and then I'm going to open it again when it serves the purpose of Christ in my life or in the life of somebody else. I'm going to use this for the purpose and glory of God. I'm not going to let it use me. I'm going to control this. I'm not going to let it control me. By the way, how many of you own an iPhone? Just show of hands. There's something called screen time that's new. If you update on there, it will be a stark awakening for you. You push it, and it shows you how much time you spent on your phone in the last day. And it shows you where you've spent that time. It's like budgeting, right? You have to see where your money is going before you can control it. This is stewardship of time. It's called screen time. If you update your iPhone, you will get it. And believe me, if you use it, it will be a shock to you. When I first looked at it a couple weeks ago, I went, oh, I've spent that much time on my cell phone. 
doing what? Facebook. What a mess am I? What a wretched chief of sinners. Lord, like, seriously? Seriously, God? And so these are the kinds of things that we need to be convicted of, but we need to understand that wherever we focus our eyes, that is what will fill us. Wherever we focus our eyes, that is what we will turn our lives over to. Today we're going to look at a scripture from 2 Chronicles 33, verses 1 through 20. And this scripture does have the word todah in it. That's how I landed on it. Um, but I wanted you to know that, that our focus of the message is going to be getting to a place of todah. It's going to be understanding what it means to trust God in such a way that we give our lives over to him in dedication so that our hands can be opened and empty so that we can receive from him the gift of himself. So we're going to talk in 2 Chronicles 33 about King Manasseh, King of Judah. Okay, and we're going to read, I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way through verse um, 20, more than likely, yeah, verse 20. So Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. By the way, Hezekiah was his dad. Hezekiah was a godly king. Now Manasseh became became king at 12, but most scholars believe there was some overlap where they actually co-reigned together. So Manasseh had exposure to his dad growing up, who was a godly king, And he also had exposure to his dad in a time of overlap where they actually reigned together. So he had the opportunity to learn from his father. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. That's longer than any other king uh, reigned in uh, Jerusalem. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Following the detestable practices of the nation, the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the bows or bales and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshiped them. Okay, let's stop a few minutes here. Um, the starry hosts is what we would call astrology today. And I won't ask for a rage of hands how many of you read your horoscope, but can I encourage you stop? Stop doing that. That, that is not of God. And so we're seeing right here that he's turning from God's ways. He's ripping down the work that his, his godly work that his dad did. And I'm going to talk about that more in a few minutes. But he's turning what? To little gods. And one of those little gods is called astrology. And it's called reading the stars and trying to figure out what my life's going to look like down the road. These things have demonic forces behind them. Jeff, are you serious? I mean, really looking up my horoscope and the paper like that's a bad thing? You bet it is. The scripture's very clear that you have one God and you are to turn to him. Now, I realize some of you may be offended, like, oh, I'm still going to read my horoscope. I mean, that's up to you, but I just need to tell you from my heart and what I believe is God's heart, you turn to him. You don't trust a horoscope, man. You trust in him. Listen to what it said. He sacrificed his children in the fire of the valley of Ben-Hinnom. This, this is crazy stuff, folks. He actually sacrificed his children to, to gods, to foreign gods, to, to Baal. Now, I don't know if you know this, and I'm not going to get deep into it, but there's an arch called the Arch of Smyrna. Okay? Now, that arch is also known as the Arch of Baal. It's been destroyed, but it's been rebuilt by some technology folks that have 3D printers and they rebuilt this thing and they put it in New York and they put it in London. Guess what? They moved it to D.C. Guess once they moved it to D.C.? Last week, when we were in the middle of a Supreme Court battle. 
Now, I'm not going to give you, like, political opinions. All I can tell you is this, that I think one of the things that's at the heart of that horrible, terrifying fight is abortion. And Baal was the God whom which children were sacrificed to. So I can tell you this to this day. We are still sacrificing our children on the altar of Baal. And if you're here today and you've had an abortion, believe me, the grace of God is sufficient for you. I stand in no way of condemnation towards you at all. The grace of God is sufficient for your forgiveness, so I stand with you as your brother in the Lord. If you're a a brother here and you've participated in an abortion, I want you to know God has forgiven you as far as the east is from the west. That's how far you are separated from your transgressions. But abortion is murder. And I realize that's not politically correct to say, but I don't care. I don't care about political correctness. I care about what God wants. And, 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 and God wants you to feel the same way. He doesn't want you to care about political correctness. Yes, respect, and that's a very different thing. Yes, he doesn't want you to judge people. That's a very different thing. But folks, I'm not saying I understand what's happening in our present day and age, but I can tell you this evil is increasing. And the scripture says the love of many will grow cold. The question is, is your heart still open and warm before the Lord? So he erected these altars to the bales that his dad had ripped down. He made Asherah poles. They were sexual, like kind of phallic type things. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshiped them. He's submitting himself to the horoscope of the day. He built altars in the temple of the Lord. He infused the house of God with altars of which the Lord had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to the starry host. He's bringing in idolatry close to the house of God. He's inside the house of God. He sacrificed his children in a fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He practiced divination and witchcraft. He sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. Stop. If you visit a psychic, stop, please. This is not of God. This is is demonic in nature. The scripture is very clear about these kinds of things, folks. So I have to give you a strong warning. This is not the kind of thing that you want to yield yourself to. Well, Pastor Jeff, I mean, she told me, she's told me things that are going to come. And and they've come to fruition. They were true. Do you not think the enemy knows that kind of stuff? It's not that you need to get the right information, it's that you need to have the right connection. Connection determines direction. You trace that stuff back to the source and you look at the word of God. It is not of God. The scripture is very clear about consulting the dead, about consulting mediums and spiritists and psychics and omens and witchcraft. It's all divination before God. And he says, you shall have but one God and one high priest, Jesus Christ, who is your intercessor before God. You need no one else. You are a priest. You now can approach the throne room of grace with confidence to find help in your time of trouble. That's what the scripture says. But he did all these things, and it says he did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing God's anger. Now this last, this next line, he took the image he had made, and he put it in God's temple, of which God had said to David and his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land I assigned to your ancestors. If only they will be careful to do everything I have commanded them concerning all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. They became an evil nation. 
They turned their backs on God. They were distracted by little gods. I'm going to go back to verse 7. It says, he took the image he had made and put it in God's temple. The temple of God, you know, um, it had the Holy of Holies. We talked about the ark last night. It was right at the center, and it had the Holy of Holies, and it had different kind of bands out or whatever. This scripture seems to indicate that he took an idol and he pushed it towards the center of God's temple. It might have even been in the Holy of Holies. We don't really know. But, but he actually put an idol in the house of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Where is the house of God today? It's sitting in your seat. Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You are God's temple. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are the Holy of Holies. I mean, can you believe that? This place that, that priests would walk into and all once a year and would sprinkle a little of the blood of a lamb on there for the atonement of the sins of people. This was the most holy, holy and reverent place. You are that place. The question is, what's on the altar? What's on the throne? You see, anything that you're afraid of giving up if turning your cell phone off scares you a little bit, it's probably falling into the category of an idol. It has you. You don't have it. If you're afraid of being without your new car, it probably has you. You don't have it. If you're really, really worried about your bank account being depleted, it probably has you. You don't have it. The question is, what has you? What is leading you? Where are your eyes focused? Are you living distracted? Are you allowing God to cleanse your hands from all of these worldly things so that he can place the gift of himself right there? And your awareness creases in such a way that you thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, God, for who you are and who I am in you. Well, Manasseh, he, he was on this horrible, horrible course. And he took this image he made and he put it in God's temple, of which God had said to David and his son Solomon in this temple in Jerusalem, my name will live forever. So they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Can you believe it? They were more evil than the pagan nations. Then... The Lord spoke. Praise the Lord. Whenever the Lord speaks, you can just say, praise the Lord. Say that with me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. When the Lord speaks, praise the Lord. Can you, do you know? Do you know that the people of God and the nation of Israel, they didn't have this. They had to go to the temple, and they had scrolls, and they had readings, and people would say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his word. You know, I've seen videos of people in third world countries receiving Bibles and they're kissing them and they're hugging them and they are filled with worship because they finally have the word of God. I saw someone in my family this week, or I heard the story of someone in my family this week hugging their Bible. Hugging their Bible. Do you love the word of God? If you do, are you going there? Are you hearing from God? Because God speaks to us through his oracles. His Holy Spirit illuminates his word. And so when I get into the word of God this week, he's piercing my heart. And he's calling me back to himself and he's saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. I am the one you're looking for. You must spend time in the word of God. And so the Lord spoke to Manasseh. He spoke to his people, but listen, they paid no attention. Yeah. 
So are we paying attention? Are we too distracted by all the things around us? Lord, thanks for that word. I'll I'll get to you sometime. I got to go to work, God. I I promise I'll spend some time with you later on tonight. God, I got to take care of the kids. God, I got to do this. I got to do that. God, I got got so much going on right now. God, you understand, don't you? You're a gracious God. He says, I am the Lord, your God. And when I speak, you are to listen to me. You are to stop and listen to me because there is no one more important than I am. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who, by the way, was the source of all these pagan things they were worshiping, and took Manasseh prisoner. Listen, he put a hook in his nose. He bound him with bronze shackles, and he took him to Babylon. Listen. Anything you worship will enslave you. When you worship something, you no longer have it. It has you, and it puts a ring in your nose. And you know why they would put a ring in somebody's nose? So they could pull them along by it. It grabbed that ring, and it would be in a really sensitive place, and now you can actually drag a person by their nose. This is what the world is doing to you if you are living distracted. You are being led by the things of the world, which, by the way, are directed by the enemy of God. And he wants nothing more than to distract you so he can derail you, so you don't know who you are and you don't know who God is because if you discover that, you will become unhinged for the glory of God. So he wants you to live wrapped up and all, you know, tied up And Jesus says, no, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know about you, but that sounds like an amazing invitation to me. So God spoke to Manasseh and his people, and he's saying to them, come back to me. I love you. But they paid no attention to him. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. He no longer had these idols. These idols had him. Now this guy was fortunate enough to allow these shackles and this ring in his nose to drag him low enough to look up. The question is, have you gotten low enough to look up? Fortunate are those who are the sufferers that have gotten low enough to look up. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea, so he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. These are perhaps some of the most beautiful verses in this whole of this chapter. Because God says he loves and gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. When you are living distracted, when you are living with idolatry in your life, you are living in pride. You are saying to God, I know my way is better than your way. And you are showing that you don't trust him because what happens when we do this is we choose to trust other people things. And God says, no, you shall have no other gods before me. And when we get to this place, 
It's only a matter of time that God gives us over to that which we pursue and then our chests start to heave the sidewalk. We get so low, we get so depleted. I consider myself a fortunate sufferer. For over 30 years ago, I came to the end of myself being an alcoholic and a sex addict. And I got so low that I could go nowhere except but look up to God. And when I looked up to him, he answered my prayer. And he says, now stay low. Stay low before me. Because whether you know it or not, you were created to be dependent on me. And there is no other way to live your life. Either you're depending on me or you're depending on something else. But you are dependent, Jeff. There's no shame in being dependent. I created you that way for fellowship with me. But there is no one or nothing else that can fill the void in your soul but me. And Manasseh, he actually knows this now. This is not new. If you want to look up this guy named um, King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, man, that was quite a story. You know, he, 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 he walks in pride and he throws God behind his back. And what does he do? He, God drives him out to the fields to eat grass like a cow. And most people today would think that he needed to be institutionalized. Okay, I don't understand all that, but all I'm saying is this guy has gone berserko. He's out there eating grass in a field like a cow. But he finally gets humble after years and years of being in this insane place where he turns to God and he says these incredible words. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the God of heaven for everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Has God humbled you? Has God humbled you? Absolutely, he has. How many of you would say that God has humbled you? How many say that God has humbled you more than once? How many would say that God has humbled you over a thousand times? God has a million ways to humble us, to lay us low so that we will look up because that is who we were created for. Listen to what happened when he looked up. Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. What he's saying here is he understood that those other things were not going to do it for him. He saw the illusion. He saw the deception. He said, that's not going to work. No, the Lord, my God, he is God. I will worship him alone. Afterward, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David, west of Gihon, spring in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and encircled the hill of Ophel. He also made it much higher. He stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities in Judah. He got rid of all the foreign gods and removed the image of the temple from the Lord, of the Lord, as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill in Jerusalem. He threw them out of the city. Stop. Are you willing to do whatever it takes not to be distracted? Folks, if you're, if you're struggling with a computer at home, are you willing to give it away? <gasps> you know, oh my Lord, I couldn't give my computer away. Why not? Well, Jeff, I need it. Do you need it more than God? Do you need anything more than God? Are you aware that he's all that you need? You're willing to take drastic measures. What do you think when Jesus says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out? He says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. He's saying, look, take drastic measures. 
to make sure that you are not living distracted, that I am in the view, because when I'm in your view, then you will walk with me and for me and in me, and you will know my heart for you, and your life will change. He got rid of these foreign gods. He removed the image from the temple of the Lord. Now look, remember, Jesus got really ticked off Remember when he got really ticked off when he found out there was all this stuff, these money changers and all this stuff in the temple of God, and he's take, he made a whip. The dude made a whip. That is not the Jesus that you usually kind of hear about. And he's cracking this whip, and he's throwing it over a table, and he's, he's saying, get these things out of here. And the disciples are standing back, I'm sure. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be a disciple? <laughs> They're going, whoa, he's becoming unhinged. What's going on? Like, holy smokes, Lord, what are you doing? And then they remembered the word of God. Do you know the word of God enough to remember the word of God? I hope you do. They remembered the word of God that said, zeal for the house of God will consume him. That means passion or enthusiasm for the house of God will consume him. Jesus is passionate for the house of God. You are that house. He's not passionate against you. He's passionate for you. He longs for you to be free. So he's saying, get this stuff out of here. I don't know what it is that he needs to clean out of your life. But Manasseh got it. He bowed down before God in humility and he reoriented his focus. He put his eyes back on the Lord. And as a result of that, his life started to change. Look, folks, if you've got books on your bookshelf at home that don't belong there, get them off. I first came to Christ over 30 years ago, came back to Jesus. I guess they could share. I had books on my shelf that didn't belong there. I had books that were probably from the spiritist stuff. Remember, I was a Buddhist. I was just, a, just looking for God in all the wrong places. But I had a lot of books on there, and you know what? I didn't give them away to other people. I threw them out. You see, like, you got to decide who you belong to, and if you're going to focus your eyes on him, then everything in your life should reflect him and his glory, his goodness, his light, and his love. That means the way you live your relationships, the way that you walk, and the books that you have on your shelves, everything, and he got rid of all this stuff. He threw it out, and he restored the altar of God and sacrificed fellowship and todah, thank offerings on it. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my life. And thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you, Jesus. See, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul up unto an idol, or swear by what is false. So he restored the altar, sacrificed fellowships and todah on it, and told Judah to serve the, the Lord, the God of Israel. He said, look, people, we were wrong. I was wrong. Now serve the Lord your God. The people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Now, what that means, these high places were like pagan altars. And God said, no, you only, you only sacrifice on one altar, my altar. So they were disobedient in the way that they worshiped, in the place that they worshiped, but they, they worshiped the Lord their God. And so there's a lot of commentary on this, and honestly, I don't really know exactly what it means, but it means they didn't return completely. That the effects of Manassas' sin had some lasting effect on the nation of Israel. If you read the other books, you'll realize some of it was devastating. Devastating. And other events of Manasseh's reign, including his prayer to God, 
in the words of the seer. See, I don't have my phone on, so I can't tell what time it is. 10.15. Okay, I got it down there. I got an iPad. <laughs> hey, but it just has a clock on it. That's all. Don't get all uptight. I got one right here. They're like, you bozo. All right, let's get back to the Word of God. The other events of Manassas' reign, including his prayer to God and the words to the seers, spoke to him in the name of the Lord and the God of Israel, written in the annals of the kings of Israel. Some people say the seers. That's prophets, by the way. His prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty as well as all his sins and unfaithfulness and the sites he had built pie places and set up Asherah poles and idols before he humbled himself. All these were written in the record of the seers. Manasseh rested with his ancestors and was buried in his palace, and Ammon, his son, succeeded him as king. Ammon did evil as well, just like his father. Um, but I want you to know a couple things here. First of all, we've never found uh, the prayer of Manasseh. Um, it's recorded somewhere, but it's never been part of what we've found. Now, you will go online, and you'll find a prayer called the prayer of Manasseh, but that is part of the Apocrypha. Now, this is a little complicated, but I, want to, I just want to say this. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for godly men and women that have gone before us to be able to put your eyes on written word and determine what is of you and what is not of you. Okay, so there are some people who read these books called the Apocrypha. They are not part of our canon, which means they are not authorized. They are not spiritually divine. They are not inspired by God. If you look up the Manasseh prayer, Verse 8 of that prayer, which is in a whole other thing over here, will say um, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never sinned. And so when we see God working through his people early on, we see people who are godly looking at that and saying, that's not divinely inspired. We actually know that it was written 200 years after Christ and that it was written under a pseudonym. So don't be deceived by these things. I'm trying to encourage you to know and understand God's word. God's word is one word, and it agrees. God never disagrees with himself. I want to show you, though, in way of closing, that this pattern of behavior is not new. It wasn't new to Manasseh. It's not new to us. And ever since the fall of mankind, this has been the cycle. This is in the book of Nehemiah. You can read it in chapter 9 if you want, confessing the sins of Israel. But God wants for you to rest. Say this, God wants me to rest. And rest and repentance is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You would have none of it. When he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, it's an invitation to rest and blessing. He says, come to me. You will live life the way that it's supposed to be lived. This is his invitation for all time to all people. But... We walk in rebellion. That's called sinfulness. It's called distractedness. It's called idolatry. And in Nehemiah, you see Nehemiah confessing the sins of Israel, and he goes, they rested in your, your goodness. They were blessed by you. And as soon as they had rested, they went out and threw your law behind their backs. So you turned them over to that which they pursued. Look, if you want to live your life for a cell phone, God is going to say, have at it. Do you know Why? Because he wants you to get soul sick. Why would he want you to get soul sick? He wants you to get soul sick so you'll come back to him. Because he is the healer of your soul. 
So what happens in Nehemiah, you see this four or five times. He says, rest and blessing. They rebelled and they turned their, their law behind their back. And then you turned them over to that which they pursued. And so what they pursued now actually has a hold of them. They have great pain and suffering. And then they cry out for mercy. They cry out for mercy. They say, God, help us, just like Manasseh did. And then it says, you answered their cries. You answered their cries and you brought them back to yourself. And as soon as they had rested, they went back out and did what ought not to be done. So you turned them over to that which they pursued and they experienced great pain and they cried out and you answered their cries. And Nehemiah goes around this thing three, four, five times telling the history of the nation of Israel. When I first read this years ago, I went, that is the story of my life. And I love the last line. At least the last line of this chunk of scripture, he says this, and according to your unfailing mercy, you never failed to answer their cries. The question is, are you a person who cries out to God? Have you got low enough to look up? And are you willing to allow God to take away the distractions in your life so that you can focus your eyes on him for the lamp is the eye of the body. And wherever your eye is focused, That's what will fill you. And if you focus on Jesus, you will be filled with light. So today I want to challenge you. I want to ask you, what's been distracting you? What have you been placing on the throne room of your soul other than God? And I want to ask you today to make a declaration before God to throw it out of the temple and to throw it out of the city and to come forward and allow the prayer team to pray for you in such a way that you walk out of here with a dedication to the Lord to have clean hands and a pure heart that you're actually willing to take some radical steps in your life to actually clear out these things that are getting in the way for Jesus Christ is consumed with passion for you. He says, get this stuff out of here. This is my Father's house. I love you. And I want to lead you in a path such a way that you are free. That you're filled with my peace you know me. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. And as we prepare to sing this song that's very, very fitting, (laughs) I'd ask that all God's people would stand. And as the Spirit moves you, I want to encourage you to come forward today. You can tell these folks things. They're not going to tell anybody else. You can say something like, I I just need to lay down my lust. I need to get it out of the temple. I realize I'm so distracted. I need to turn my phone off. I need to stop worrying so much what people think of me and what I look like and how much money I have. I need to focus on Jesus. If you come forward and if you pray to him with an honest, sincere heart, he will hear from heaven. And he will answer your cries. Little ones, he loves you. He longs to see us free. Lord Jesus, we come before you now. We ask that you'd help us to cast down our idols. Cry out to you worship you in spirit and in truth and then to hold our hands out before you and say Todah 
I receive from you, God, my cleansing. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done. And I thank you for now what you are yet to do. We praise you, God, for your holiness and love. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.